These past few weeks of Eastertide, we've been exploring the miracles of Jesus. Um, Easter, as you might know, is more than just a single day, but a whole season for many churches. That's why we're still lighting this Paschal candle, because we think Jesus overcoming sin and death by physically rising from the grave is something to celebrate. And we acknowledge that the miracles he performed can happen to us today in the same way we read in scripture. And that too is something to celebrate. One of the stories from scripture uh, which, with which I've been able to connect is the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. So um, the story is on the back of your uh, bulletin insert. Would somebody mind standing and reading it nice and loud for both sides of the room to hear? Oh, um, well, Sean had his hand up first. <laughs> so just where you are. Thank you, Sean. This story might be a little familiar to you, and even Brad's scripture reading last week alluded to this one. But if I may, I'd still like to open this up for you a little bit. Jesus was in town for a religious festival. It might have been Purim or Passover. And he went to a pool called Bethesda, which is on the north side of the Temple Mount near a sheep market. This is what it might have looked like. The structure had five great colonnades, or maybe they were porches with water in the center of it all. Scores of people affected by various illness or disability lay about. Uh, here's one artist's mon uh, modern rendering of it. It was believed that every once in a while, an angel of God would come down and stir or trouble the water. And the first one to make it in would be healed. You can even choose to see this as a metaphor for the new life that we get through the waters of baptism. Imagine with me what this might have looked like when Jesus visited. Maybe even close your eyes. The air is stagnant and a little gross as people affected by disease or disability crowded together. Most folks don't make their way outside because God could send an angel to move the water at any moment and no one wanted to miss their chance of being healed. Maybe you can hear people crying in pain. It's not far-fetched to imagine that there was a lingering and palpable sense of anxiety. 
Jesus, the Prince of Peace, walks right into the center of that human mess, full of pain and suffering. The scripture tells us that Jesus strolls up to a man who is unable to walk. Jesus learns that the man has been like this for 38 years. I imagine Jesus talking with others um, and maybe whispering to them a word of hope. When he asks this man if he wants to get well, the man replies that he has no one to put him in the water when it bubbles. I hear the hopelessness in his voice. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Picture it if you can. Maybe he's even lying face down with his head in his hands. I have no one to help me. It's actually this hopelessness that uh, drew me to the story in the first place. In uh, January 2014, I went in for a routine outpatient surgery. Uh, it went well, and my road to recovery appeared to be a short one. But then I developed a blood clot on my right side. So I went back to the hospital, and they found an older, evil, more menacing blood clot. Thank you. <laughs> they cleared the first blood clot, but they could not get the second. And I was in the hospital for another week. It, yeah, it was hell. Uh, I had a procedure for each of the days I was in the hospital. Uh, it was probably my fourth day when the doctors came to me and asked uh, if they could do a different procedure. I had the option to say no, and they would have respected that. I was exhausted. I was in pain. I hadn't bathed in several days. And my bathroom was this really nice plastic bottle that sat next to me in the bed. <laughs> uh, I was actually strapped to the bed. I was unable to stand or walk. And then uh, nurses had run out of available veins on my hands, wrists, and arms for needles. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Uh, every morning, the doctors would rush into the room around 6.30, uh, when I had only fallen asleep a few hours before, telling me all the things they would do to me that day. Uh, <laughs> some with a little bit of excitement. I mean, they brought in medical students, and like, they're all like, look at this 25-year-old man. He shouldn't have this. It was very exciting for them. <laughs> uh, my anxiety was so great that it amplified the physical pain I felt so much that I needed pain medicine to get to sleep. In my desperation, I cried out to God, where are you? I heard only the beeps and boops of my machines. So when the doctor said that he wanted to try a different procedure, where the only guarantee was my, being, was my stay being extended one or two days longer, I said, I just want to get this thing out of me so I can go home. I could have just as easily said, I have no one to throw me into the water when it bubbles. I felt helpless, uh, but our character today was truly without help. In his culture, infirmity of any kind was seen as punishment for someone's sin or the sin of their ancestors. He was considered unclean because he was physically incapable of maintaining any kind of hygiene. Realistically, he probably had to soil himself uh, because he couldn't walk to the bathroom with the handicap accessible stalls. People probably aren't bringing him food because they're not allowed near him, lest they be made unclean too. He's hungry and dirty and lonely. He probably hasn't had anyone hold his hand or touch him in a long time. And in spite of all this, Jesus says, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man is cured of his spiritual, emotional, and physical ailments, picking up his mat and walking away. 
It's interesting because this version uh, puts an exclamation point after get up. So when I read it, I almost read it like Jesus has raised his voice at the man. But again, I'm going to imagine it differently. I imagine Jesus' exclamation was one of joy, as if to say, get up, you're better. You can even carry your mat now, try it, pick it up. I imagine that in this moment, immense sadness was touched by immense joy. What follows is a little back and forth with the religious leaders, and Jesus runs into the man again a little later. He said, stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. It could be inferred that the man was already misusing his newly found virility in that short time since Jesus healed him. But I think Jesus' instruction was something more along the lines of, you have an opportunity here to truly live. Reorient yourself towards God, because if you don't, whatever you did to cripple yourself will happen again, and it could be so much worse. So from this point forward, I'm going to work with two assumptions, and I hope they're fair assumptions. The first is that in some way, you have experienced some kind of healing from God, whether or not you can immediately recognize it. And we're going to get into some of, that, uh, some of those ways that might have happened in a bit. My second assumption is that you, like me, still need healing in some way. And I think what I like about the story is that it's so accessible. How often are we the crippled one by the pool? Being able to walk wasn't the only way he needed to be healed. Surely his heart was as withered as his legs, and surely the community who had abandoned him was in need of healing too. We think we know what is keeping us from living fully, and Jesus is willing to heal that. But maybe it's, that's just the effect of whatever the real problem is. Maybe that which we experience is coming from another, deeper place of pain that has so far been unexplored. And maybe the first step to getting better or to being made well is self-reflection. And that's why Jesus asks the question of, do you want to get better? Jesus wants us to think about what we want and what we want healed. Now, I remember uh, when I was still in banking before working for the church, I hated the one branch uh, at which I was stationed. Every day was terrible. The company was terrible. The customers were terrible. My sales goals were terrible. And my terrible customers weren't helping me meet my terrible sales goals. And my manager was, anyone take a guess? Terrible. Especially terrible. <laughs> I recognized that the situation needed healing. I prayed chiefly for the healing of my anxiety. Then I prayed that God would heal my coworkers so they would be more palatable. Then it, <laughs> then it was for my customers that they wouldn't be so needy. And for my manager, I prayed that she would recognize what an asset I truly was and be healed of her incompetence. <laughs> Meanwhile, I would sit in the back room with some coworkers, complaining about my other coworkers, gossiping about my clients, and talking crap on my manager when I thought she wasn't listening. Problems at work eventually turned into problems in relationships, and I started losing friendships or not having success getting past a second date. It even got weird with my parents because they're authority figures, and I thought even they were trying to fire me. <laughs> they're here tonight, uh, this morning. They did not fire me, incidentally. <laughs> they crossed not one, 
but two rivers and a stream to be here this morning. <laughs> I thought I needed a different job, making more money at a better place with people who understand me. But what I really needed to was to sit down and trace all the different situations I found myself in back to their root. I needed to be healed of my insecurities, mostly, but also of the destructive patterns I had set for myself. I'm still being healed in this particular area, too. Our scripture today says, Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. And I know the verse says that he was cured at once, but at what point did the curing start? Muscles had to start forming, bone would have needed to be strengthened, the man's brain would have needed a way to communicate with the legs. Did it take five minutes? The length of a conversation? Did it start when Jesus first entered the room? Was the process finished when Jesus told him to get up? Did the man's heart feel something was happening before he knew what it was? Was his identity healed too? Who was he when he wasn't the crippled man by the pool anymore? Can you yourself sense God working in you, though you don't know what it all means? If you aren't the sick person or the addict or the broken person anymore, who are you? Jesus' question, do you want to get well, is a first step. The question seems rhetorical because of course we want to be made well, but in reality, it's a real and valid question. So do you want to be made well? Are you willing to not be broken anymore? Being made well beckons us to reorient ourselves towards God. So it's quite possible that someone might not want to do that. This reorientation is something that a new friend I'm making recently pointed out to me. She recalled the story of the man cured by Peter in the third chapter of Acts. And I'm going to read it for you. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do give you, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Which, by the way, Peter actually had the ability to help this crippled man. So if you come across someone who's in need, um, help them as you're enabled. Uh, don't use this verse as a reason to not help someone. Uh, you might not have silver or gold, nor might you have the ability to make someone else walk. But uh, you are still able to offer something to someone and in the name of Jesus. So taking him by the right hand, he helped him get up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the man who, was, uh, who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Some translations say that the man actually danced. The scripture doesn't offer us a lot of detail, but we still see a shift. This person goes from avoiding human contact as much as he possibly can to shouting in the square about what the Lord has done for him. 
So do you want to be made well? Can you be open to what God is doing in you? Are you able to boldly tell people about the goodness you've experienced that came from God? The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthians said, um, asked, uh, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not? All good things come from God. Acknowledge it to others. Acknowledge it to God. And if you're unable to do either of those things, return to the first step, self-reflection. I was reminded of another healing story, this time from the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus heals a man possessed by an unclean spirit. I'm going to take a sip of water because this is a good one. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on, the near, on a, a hillside nearby. The demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out of the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them about how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the capitalists how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This has to be the scariest thing I have ever read. And I read a lot of psycho horror, suspense, thriller, mystery novels. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had Ottoman chained hand and foot, and he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Imagine what a sight that was. And Jesus sends not one demon from this man, not seven demons, nor 70 times seven. He cast out nearly 2,000 demons. <laughs> right? <laughs> a little while later, the townsfolk see all their dead pigs in the water. And this man is sitting near Jesus, fully clothed, sane, and having a normal conversation. Talk about a transformation. And what happens next? 
The man, having just been healed, reorients himself back towards God, goes up to Jesus and asks if he can join the crew. Jesus tells him no, but to go back to his family and tell them about how he was made well. The guy instead goes to the 10 cities, um, which is the Decapolis. I mean, maybe he's got family in each one of them, who knows? Again, I'm going to take the liberty to reimagine what's going on here. Um, has anyone else have a, ever had a surgery or a procedure done? Many of us have. The procedure is meant to heal or fix what is broken. But are you able to go back to work right away? No. Not usually. It's also common to have restrictions on what you can and cannot eat. Here, Jesus, the great physician, is probably saying, go home to your family. Tell them about everything that's happened to you. Take some time to rest. You've been through a lot. Jesus recognizes that self-care is worship too. So do you want to be made well? Do you want to follow Jesus now that he's cast away your demons? If the answer is no, I still think that's understandable. The man at the pool knew what to expect. It was the same thing every day, watching and waiting for something, anything to happen. As bad as our current situation might be, at least we are familiar with it. We know it, it won't surprise us. We can be more comfortable in our present misery than in the uncertainty uncertainty of what it is to be free. And it's in that freedom that we're able to fully experience the possibilities of what God is doing. The man thought his only chance of healing was launching himself into the magic bubble water. He did uh, what any of us would have done. He limited the assistance of God according to his own thought. He doesn't venture to promise himself anything more than what his mind could conceive. He didn't have any imagination, that's for sure. And now some stranger he's never met before walks up behind him and heals him. The man gets up, but Jesus isn't there. And he still doesn't know that the one who healed him is the Son of God made man. How great a reminder is this, that God works in our lives in ways that we do not recognize. Another reason why being made uh, well might be scary is because uh, there's an expectation that we would have to do something now. After this man was healed, he was told to pick up his mat. Jesus didn't hand him the mat. The man had to stand up off the ground, bend over, collect his belongings, and walk. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, I'm going to get you started, but the rest is up to you. I think he's telling us to take responsibility for ourselves. Will you do that? Will you be made well? You know, when I first sat down to write this, the point I wanted to win you over with was that healing is for you, should you want it. And when you are healed, uh, do something life-giving with that. And while I'd like to offer you something like five practical steps to unlock the healing power of Jesus, it's such a mystical process. So if there's one thing you can do just for today, it's to pray. Uh, so the, the prayer team will come up um, and talk to you in a few minutes and then offer an opportunity to pray for you individually in the prayer alcove. Um, you can also sing during our worship time. And if that doesn't seem like it's for you, just saying, Jesus, where do I start is a prayer too. The promise of hope comes from, um, the promise of hope here are Jesus' words. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants. 
He wants you to know yourself and be aware of what you need. Jesus wants you to be well and be healthy, to practice gratitude and generosity, to live and to laugh, to accept love and to love well. Jesus is saying that he wants you to live into your fullness. So do you want to be made well?